This B-Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. Loved and trusted by more than 1 million teachers, IXL enhances your teaching and takes work off your plate so you can make an even bigger impact on your students. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights. Strengthen daily instruction, close knowledge gaps quickly, and set every student up for success. Want to bring IXL to your school? Learn more at IXL.com B-E. That's IXL.com B-E. We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, my flex learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash B-E. Welcome to the Cybertraps podcast. I am Jethro Jones coming to you from Washington, host of the podcast Transformative Principle and author of the book School X, How to Redesign Your School for the People Right in Front of You. I am a former principal at all levels of K-12 education. Greetings, everyone. I'm Frederick Lane, an author, attorney, and educational consultant, temporarily based in East Hampton, New York. I'm the author of 10 books, including most recently, Cybertraps for Educators 2.0, Raising Cyberethical Kids, and Cybertraps for Expecting Moms and Dads. Jethro and I have teamed up to bring timely, entertaining, and useful information to teachers, parents, and others about the risks arising from the use and misuse of digital devices. Over the coming weeks and months, we'll be talking to some of the world's leading experts from the fields of education, parenting, sociology, and cyber safety. Join us as we look at what it takes to better navigate our increasingly high-tech world. For more information or to donate to our work, please visit centerforcyberethics.org. The Center, <laughs> the Center for Cyberethics is the producer of the Cybertraps podcast, although it's really just the two of us eating chat. <laughs> In any case, the Center for Cyber Ethics is an independent, nonpartisan educational institute dedicated to the study and promotion of cyber ethics as a positive social force through research, curricular development, publishing and media, professional training, and public advocacy. Well, this episode and the next few episodes of the podcast are going to be about our time in at the PPI conference in Boise, Idaho. So as we are chatting here, I hope you enjoy it and enjoy the uh, people that we were able to talk with. This was the Professional Practices Institute put on by the National Association of State Directors of teacher and educator certification. And this is a similar um, conference that Fred and I went to last year in Oklahoma City as well. So hope you enjoy this and the following episodes that are going to be like it. 
Since we were recording in a public place, there are some times where the background noise gets a little much, but hopefully we've done enough to take care of that and it's not too annoying. And uh, thanks for your patience with that. Terry, would you please start by telling us who you are and what you do? All right. I'm Terry Miller. I am president of Stop Educator Sexual Abuse, Misconduct and Exploitation, otherwise known as Sesame. <laughs> Excellent. One, one of the organizations that we've talked about a few times, I'm excited to finally meet you because Fred has uh, sang your praises numerous times over the two years that we've been doing this podcast. So, And among other things, what I have told him is you have been at the forefront of trying to address this issue of quote-unquote passing the trash. The idea that someone can leave a district and go to another district without necessary information following. That is correct. Um, I first became concerned about a teacher being allowed to quietly resign, well not very quietly, but he was allowed to resign, um, and that was in 1995. I then uh, read an article in 1999, uh, Dirty Secrets from the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, and that's where I learned how to define this uh, resignation as passing the trash. Um, we'll look that up and add it to the show notes. That's really yeah. interesting. What yeah. was it called again? It's called Dirty Secrets, Dirty. the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, um, and uh, coincidentally, um, because Sesame was still very young at that time, um, uh, there was a part of Part of the series was featuring a story about Sesame and how it came to be. So, so in between 95 and 99 then, you founded Sesame. I did not found oh, Sesame. Okay. I became a member of Sesame at the behest of um, the founder, Marianne Werner. Oh, I didn't um, think I knew this piece, yeah. Yes. Sesame was founded as a support um, network for survivors and families um, who had been um, stricken by cases of educator sexual misconduct. In the early 90s, um, the Warners, Dick and Marianne, were both teachers um, in New York. And in the early 90s, two of their six children disclosed to them that they had been sexually abused by a teacher. Oh, that's terrible. They went to their district as parents and employees fully expecting to find support, and they found none. What they found was the district insulated itself, isolated them, and protected the perpetrator. So they found a need for a support network for families like theirs and, and, and children like theirs. The 501c3 was established in the state of New York in 1996, and it just so happened that my story went out on the AP wire of what I had done as a mother in Nevada, and um, says, uh, Marianne reached out to me and asked me to come become a member. In my role with Sesame, um, she and I would speak at conferences, um, and I have had firsthand experience um, that I was then able to share with other parents and survivors. And that experience was lobbying for criminal legislation in the state of Nevada to criminalize sexual conduct with students who were over the age of consent. Um, that law went into effect in 1997. In 95, together with two student victims, um, I filed complaints to the Office of Civil Rights. 
and those complaints resulted in a full compliance review of the Nye County School District in Nevada. Um, the attorneys that were conducting that investigation from OCR kept me in the loop the entire investigation, months, <laughs> and so I got a first-hand education on that process. So given the fact that I had been through these situations and I had also assisted attorneys with their civil cases by providing information to them um, that I had gathered on my own um, to support their cases. So that, you know, lawsuits that came against my county school district. So it was in all of these firsthand experiences that I was able to um, advocate for other survivors and parents to seek justice outside of the criminal courts and outside of the civil courts. Statute of limitations often were a factor for them, you know, running into a roadblock to justice. So lobbying for legislation is a form of justice. Um, going after a teacher's licensure, filing statements to credentialing offices is another form of justice that they can utilize. Filing complaints to the OCR is another form of justice. So that's been my role and that's what I've done ever since. Um, in 2001, Marianne's husband was in failing health, so that's when she asked me to take over as president and to keep the organization going. And 20 years later, here, here we you are. are. Yeah, wow. Here we are. And you've had a number of successes in terms of putting legislation forward. What, what are you most proud of in terms of? Oh, wow. Okay. So, um, well, I'm most proud of the fact that, you know, I was able to get that criminal statute on the books initially in Nevada. I call it my baby. <laughs> NRS 201, 540 is my, and 550 are my babies, and I have been there every time it's needed an amendment testifying and supporting um, those amendments. And now it's, Nevada's law is considered one of the strongest in the United States um, because when they're convicted on the statute, they must register as sex offenders. It is a felony offense. Um, and now they are exempt, those convicted on it are exempt from being able to come back and get their records sealed or expunged so they can never hide it. Mm. Um, and then, so that's, that's, that's a big one. Um, the second biggest one is the Sesame Act that originated in Pennsylvania. Um, Senator Anthony Hardy Williams contacted our organization. They had several cases of, of educators that had been passed, um, not just throughout their state, but out of their state and into their state, in fact, we actually acquired a Pennsylvania teacher in Las Vegas, um, you know, that, that had managed to get his record expunged, um, and that's the Mark Zana case. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, anyway, um, and that's what led to <laughs> this exemption that Nevada put in place. So um, anyway, the Sesame Act is designed to prohibit passing the trash. It's also designed to capture those that have an offending history, but don't yet have a criminal history. So it's a vetting process of applicants to schools beyond fingerprint background checks. And um, 
first, it prohibits the use of any forms of concealment. It prohibits confidentiality agreements. It prohibits separation agreements that allow for these quiet resignations and moving on to other jurisdictions. It mandates reporting to the Department of Education of these cases. The other thing that it does in this vetting process, the Department of Education has designed forms, standardized forms, that every district must use in their hiring practices. First of all, the applicants must fill out a form self-disclosing whether or not they'd ever been the subject of investigation or any type of disciplinary action as a result. Then they must sign a waiver listing all of their previous employers where they worked with minors and releasing those employers to be able to provide that same information about them. Mm. So that form is sent out to all of the um, previous employers. They must fill it out and return it within, I think it's in Pennsylvania, it's 60 days um, before a person can be hired. So this is a way of capturing those, like I said, that have an offending history, but don't yet have a criminal history. One of the things that occurs to me, Terry, I'm, I'm curious as to whether or not you've ever talked to a principal or an administrator who subsequently learned that someone they allowed to quietly leave has reoffended, and what their reaction to that was. Is there, have you run across anyone who has accepted a sense of responsibility or culpability, just on a personal level, not legally? I have never spoken to an administrator, but I do know of those cases. In fact, some of those cases came out of the same high school as the teacher that I was concerned about that brought me into this advocacy realm, mm. Joseph Peterson, um, from Prump Valley High School. Prump Valley High School had a culture of sexual offenders. Um, I called it a nest of pedophiles. Um, there was a teacher uh, that helped a student graduate early. She was 17 years old, he married her and he left with a letter of recommendation and went to Apple Valley, California. That student wife, after a few years, came home and found her husband in their bedroom naked with a student. She divorced him and she reported him to the administration there. And um, they just treated her like a disgruntled ex-wife um, and, uh, and they did nothing. The superintendent there took a position up in the Aptos area of California and was, a, was in a superintendent there as well. A year later, he hired the teacher as a principal of Pajaro Valley High School. And um, his history of offending students in Pahrump Valley High School in Nye County caught up with him. Uh, long story short, three former victims from Prompt Valley High School filed statements to the California Commission of Credentialing where he finally had his license revoked based on their statements. And one of them was his former student wife. Um, but he had a number of, of survivors. And um, I helped facilitate this process with, you know, with them. So, 
another teacher, oh, he actually wasn't a teacher, he was the vice principal of Prout Valley High School. He was involved with a, a student that had a, an infant and right out of high school she was living with him with that infant child. Um, that was a concern to the authorities, so they started looking into him. By that time he had broken off with her and was involved with yet another student. He married that student and left with a letter of recommendation and took a position up in Federal Way, Washington. I got word that he had been demoted from his administrative position there because some parents had witnessed him groping himself in front of a group of students. And he was demoted from that position to a band instructor in elementary school where he went on to offend a fifth grade little girl and was consequently arrested and prosecuted uh, for that. I, I don't know, Jethro. I just don't know as someone who allowed the trash to be passed how I could live with myself. Well, you know, I, I never knowingly passed the trash and um, I've had teachers that I've that I've said this isn't going to work out, and um, and I've never had a a, a a sexual incident like that where I've been where I've thought anything could be going on. But what did happen once, and it was not related to sexual misconduct; it was related to abuse that a teacher had um, had hurt a student physically. And when I went to my superintendent, the superintendent said, "Well, the." the union president has done worse things to kids and he's the union president and still employed so you don't have any support and I said well I don't care if I have support or not this is not okay behavior and I'm not going to stand for it and mm -hmm. so I'm going to write him up and if it means that you don't support me and like nothing happens then that can be on you that's fine but I'm not going to to sit here and say that this is okay so if I ever got a reference call for that person, I would absolutely say this is what happened and should not continue. However, have I ever gotten a reference for that person? No, of course not. He would never put me down as a reference. So I've been principal at three different schools. All of these teachers have moved to different schools and I only regularly get reference calls for two or three people that I've, that I've worked with over all those teachers, over hmm. 100. That's interesting. Point. So, like, the, to me, a bigger problem is that people are not even asking for references. In the stories you shared, uh, in one, one of those stories, the superintendent knew this guy and still brought him. That's bad. But in other situations, <laughs> yes, like, <it> is. <laughs> there's, there's not even people checking to see what's going on. They pass the background check, then there's like, okay, this is fine. And I think that's a big problem that education has to grapple with because we're not, we're not there. I've been asked so many times, why, why do I think that this was allowed to go on for as long as it has um, at that one high school? And again, they all, it was a very small community. When I first moved to Pahrump, Nevada in 1982, it was a population of 4,000. And mm -hmm. I think we were actually made, when we moved there, we 
we hit that 4,000 mark. <laughs> You're the 4,000th one. <laughs> what do you get, Johnny? <laughs> exactly. Oh, oh, if I only knew had what was in store for me. I lived there for 20 years, and I felt like I was paroled when I left. Oh. <laughs> but... <laughs> Anyway, um, I was there for a purpose, right? Yes, yeah, you sure Clearly. So, you know, everybody kind of had dirt on each other. There were so many offending in that school that nobody was going to be reporting each other because, you know, again, they, they all had a stain. Um, and so I think that's what kept it going for so long. Now, in their defense, as a result of those... Um, that OCR compliance review, Nye County had to come into agreement to comply with Title IX and put in good, strong policies um, that met the approval of OCR. Um, so in 1996, that, that's when they, they agreed to come into compliance. They did put in some strong policies. Once the administrators, you know, that either retired or finally were no longer there, that were very culpable in a lot of this abuses going on, um, or allowing the abuses to go on. Once they were gone, they have a really good superintendent there now, who I know. <laughs> His wife was a teacher. He was my some of my children's elementary school teacher or principal, and um, I've utilized those those policies as examples when folks are asking me, you know, for examples, mm -hmm. um, I send them to the Nye County website. Yeah. And uh, so, so there's been, now that they've kind of cleaned things up out there and they've got good administration in place, there have been very few cases that have come out of Nye County um, in the last 10 years, yeah. I've, I've got to say. So, um, so that's a good thing. That is a good thing. So I'm so, proud of that work. Yeah, as well you should be. And I've had some interactions with Nye County myself recently mm -hmm. um, in my work with Education Elements. And uh, it's just been good to good to hear something positive. Yeah, mm -hmm. and that's, that's awesome. So thank you for sharing yeah. that. Um, mm -hmm. Can you tell us what you're excited about right now? What are you working on today? Well, right now, um, you know, we are very proud of the fact that we've been involved in with the Department of Education on this issue. Um, Dr. Billy Jo Grant is on our board of directors. I uh, can't speak more highly of her. <laughs> I hope you get to sit down and have a conversation with her about research and, and data and numbers. Um, mm -hmm. uh, but Well, we need somebody to do Oh, that. boy, she's, she's the best. Uh, <laughs> And we are, we, we are arm in arm most of the time these days. But um, anyway, we sat on an advisory team of five members uh, to the Department of Education study on states um, who have enacted the ESSA language um, or have come into compliance with ESSA. And then, of course, the states that have not. And... Um, in that study, they utilized the Sesame Act um, as model legislation for, you know, states to consider. Um, right now, there's a, just a, about a dozen states that, that have that type of language in place. Um, but anyway, so that, we're very proud of that and having that influence, um, you know, straight up. So, 
straight up the t at the top of the chain. <laughs> yeah, right. But um, since 2011, we have been working with uh, legislators from Pennsylvania, and that started with um, Senator Anthony Hardy Williams, who is the champion um, of stopping passing the trash and he's the one that named their bill after our our organization because we he contacted us in 2011 and it got passed in 2014 so it took a while mm -hmm. come on by legislative standards that's actually pretty quick <laughs> yeah yeah um it felt like an eternity <laughs> and the you know the ups and downs of the roller coaster you know with with getting it finally done as a consequence of that work, um, we were contacted by federal legislators, uh, Congressman Mike Fitzpatrick and Patrick Meehan, um, and uh, they wanted to do something on the federal level. Um, the Jeremy Bell case um, has a nexus to Pennsylvania. Jeremy Bell was a 12-year-old little boy in West Virginia that um, was sexually assaulted and murdered by his elementary school principal, Edgar Friedrichs. Edgar Friedrichs started his teaching career in Pennsylvania. He was passed um, to West Virginia where he was passed throughout the state of West Virginia with known allegations of sexual offense at every jurisdiction he, he taught or administrated. It's utterly incredible, it really is. Yeah. Um, it's one of the worst cases of past, although they're all bad, but, but it's one of the worst cases because he was passed so many times. Yeah. Um, and every one of those jurisdictions has the blood of Jeremy on their hands. The private investigator that was hired to uh, investigate Jeremy's murder um, worked for six years um, at the behest of one of Jeremy's family members. He introduced me to Jeremy's father um, as they were going through the trial, as they were going through the civil cases. Um, I advocated for Jeremy's dad, Roy Bell. Um, so I became very familiar with this case and there is a hole in my heart in the shape of a J that still needs to be filled um, to find justice for him and, and getting this legislation to prohibit passing the trash will help to fill that hole. Um, so, Congressman Fitzpatrick and Patrick Meehan named their bill after Jeremy, and Roy helped to support it. Um, it did pass the House. They ended up merging their bill together with Congressman George Miller, no relation, <laughs> uh, from California. Um, Congressman Miller had a, uh, the Protecting Students from Sexual and Violent Predators Act going and they merged the Jeremy Bell Act language into that bill. It called for uniform um, and comprehensive background checks for states to enact uniform and comprehensive background checks. It called for a national database to be established to flag educators um, and school employees that had, you know, histories of offense. And, um, and prohibit this practice of passing the trash, prohibit confidentiality agreements in all forms of concealment. Um, it passed unanimously in the House. Sadly, the night before it passed, um, Roy Bell 
suddenly passed away from a heart attack, so he never got to see that happen. But they did honor him on the floor of the house, which was wonderful and very delightful to hear. Um, it went on to the Senate, to Senator Pat Toomey, also from Pennsylvania, and to Senator um, Joe Manchin from West Virginia. And they bipartisanly supported the Protecting Students from Sexual and Violent Predators Act to try to get it passed in the Senate. They could never get a hearing in the health committee. They could never get a vote on the Senate floor. After numerous attempts, um, finally uh, they tried to get it all amended into the Every Student Succeeds Act, um, but the only portion that made it in was the prohibition of confidentiality agreements and separation agreements. So that is now section 8546 of the ESSA Act um, prohibiting um, the aiding and abetting of sexual abuse in schools. That's a pretty significant step though, right? That there. is. I mean, it from is. From what we've been hearing today. Yes, and the problem is, is that there's not any real teeth in it. I mean, for not fulfilling the mandate Supposedly, you know, states can lose their federal funding under, mm -hmm. you know, the Elementary and Secondary Education Act, um, but it's not enforced. And in 2018, uh, the Department of Ed sent out a letter to every leader of education uh, reminding them of their uh, duty to fulfill the mandate. At that time, there were 39 states that it were still out of compliance. So that's when Senator Toomey asked for a study to be done by the Department Ed to study the states that had complied and the states that didn't. And that report from that study came out earlier this year. Um, you can find it mm -hmm. on the Sesame website. <laughs> well, we'll um, add a link to the show notes because I think that's yeah, really important. Um, you can find all the other research by Dr. Grant and by Magnolia and... Um, uh, consulting, um, Cheryl Shakeshaft, you know, no, Fred Lane. Uh, <laughs> yeah, known to do some work here. Uh, well, Terry, let me ask you this. Um, you know, as we start to wrap this up, what do you think are the prospects going forward in terms of legislation or advocacy? Well, um, most recently I am back in conversations with uh, Senator Joe Manchin's office and Senator Toomey's office. Um, He'll be leaving office in January, but uh, say, yeah. this is his swan song: um, is to, to is to finally get at least the um, the mandate for states to enact uniform and comprehensive background checks. So um, we're in conversations now about what the next steps are going to be, and hopefully, now that this report from DOE has come out, it will lead to more um, mandates for states because you know. It is our federal government that mandates our children be in school, but up until 2015, when that little portion of the ESSA Act was put in, there has never been federal legislation to mandate the safety of our children, hmm. ever. And this is astonishing to me. I see... I, I am a news junkie, and I love watching, love watching C-SPAN, love watching these hearings. 
my favorite thing in the world. I see our Olympic athletes getting the attention they deserve with congressional hearings. I see our Boy Scouts getting congressional hearings. And I'm applauding it, and I'm supporting it, and I'm happy that they're getting the attention they deserve from our government. And there's been hundreds and thousands of children harmed in those situations, in those youth-serving organizations. But we have millions, millions of school children that are suffering some form of educator sexual misconduct between kindergarten and 12th grade. One in 10 K through 12 students. That amounts to about five million children in our schools today. And we've yet to get a congressional hearing. We've yet to get protections and legislation established for their safety. I will not stop until we have a Student Protection Act. I am committed to this for the rest of my life. I will not stop. That's, uh, that's a really amazing commitment, Terry. If people want to learn more about the work you're doing and how to support it, what can they do? They can go to sesamenet.org, sesame like the sesame seed, and if you look up the healing properties of the sesame seed, um, we use it as our logo because it is this little miracle of a seed that can cure all. So I knew I like sesame bagels for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> so well, come, come visit us at sesamenet.org. We have the nation's top experts on our board of directors as well of our, as our board of advisors. Mr. Fred Lane included in that esteemed group, and we couldn't be more proud. We are a one-stop shop, multifaceted um, group of experts. And I will say, just a fascinating group of people to interact with, so it is a real honor, Terry, to be part of this. Thank are. you so much for joining us today. Thank yes, you, thank Fred. You. Thank you, Jethro. Yep. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com BE. Do you want to save time on prep work, increase student achievement for all of your students, reliably meet tier one standards? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com B to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve these goals. That's IXL.com B-E.